so welcome everybody uh, to the members only. Uh, I think it's the second or third one of the year so far. How quickly is this month moving on? Um, we're here to talk about the psychology of confidence. And you know, I had a conversation around how 2020 may have affected people in various different ways. And of course, it's all very subjective. But I think the one thing that has stood out from people that I've spoken with is that confidence levels have, um, have taken a bit of a, a detour. Um, and, and largely, I think, because of, you know, banging your head against the wall with clients or just the general things that are outside of your control. Um, and I think where uh, Jamil's very good at is, is helping people regain control of that. Um, so, no, that's hard. If, um, I'm, I'm going uh, to pass you over to Jamil um, and we'll, we'll kickstart it. If anybody's on or not on mute um, for this part, just we've got people running around the background, just put yourself on mute, that'd be great. Um, without further ado, um, ladies and gentlemen, here is uh, Jamil to talk about the psychology of confidence. Um, hello guys, thank you Simon, thank you mate. And, um, nice to see you all again, recognise some faces, so um, um, hello to you and hello to some newbies. Um, Simon is absolutely right, uh, we've got an hour together, um, I'm not going to talk for a full hour, um, probably just talk a little bit up front and then hand over to you, because um, confidence, courage, um, being bold is all different to different people, so I'd love to make it very relevant for you. So um, any specific questions you want to ask at, uh, about how we can think bold, choose brave or go beyond, all the better. Um, and I do think it's a time for us to take our leadership to the new dimension. Oh, uh, yeah, those two are your I never know, you might hear something interesting. Don't tell him to turn it off a little bit, never know. <laughs> Some sort of gender reveal or something, you never know. And um, some sort of argument going on, which could be entertaining. Um, no, I'd um, well, tell him to turn it off if it's not going to interest us. Um, okay, so um, so it's a time for taking our leadership to a new dimension. I've mentioned to you before on these calls that um, all the companies I worked with last year, um, all the individuals I worked with last year, and um, those who really struggled with motivation um, were the ones who um, tried to go back to normal. So trying to put things back together again. Um, the ones who got quite excited and quite motivated um, were the ones who saw this as a portal to step through and um, look at reinvention, reimagination and repurposing. So whatever you were doing in regard to your career, whatever you were doing in regard to your um, work, your business, um, I guess was relevant for then, but may not necessarily be relevant for now. And, um, so it's been a great time to challenge what we believe to be true. It's a great time to become more curious about the world in which we're inhabiting um, and have a look at how we can use our skills differently and, um, to create more and better value. So I often say it with business people and with sports people, and sometimes I've seen this in sport as much as business, that sometimes the route to greater success is not learning new skills. And, um, it's more about understanding the skills that we've got and applying them differently. Uh, so we think to be better, we need to learn some different stuff, learn some new stuff. That may not be true. Um, it might be about creating a new perspective on the world in which we're inhabiting and using our skills in a different manner to what we did um, prior. Um, and you know, that in itself can be a brave thing to do, and, um, to take the skills we've already got and, um, and see how we can um, uh, use them make them more practical or translate them into a world which has now changed. So I think it is a great time for bold leadership. Lots of people are talking about it in business. And, uh, lots of people are talking about you know, how they can experiment, become more curious, change the way in which they're thinking and change the way in which they're doing to take advantage of the new opportunities. Um, I've written down three things um, for you in regard to confidence to kick off our discussion today. Um, and the first is that confidence is like a muscle and I'm convinced of it. I've seen it a lot again in business and sport. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. So if you tend to do the thing that you fear and um, you watch the fear diminish. And, um, there's lots of people who don't like speaking on stage. Um, in fact, I think in a straw poll last year to Harvard Business Review, they did a um, um, what leaders fear most. And, um, and number one was speaking in front of a crowd. And number two was death. And um, so what that means is that people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And, um, so it's a, quite a fear of a lot of people speaking in public. <clears throat> I can pretty much guarantee you 
And um, if you spoke every day in front of a crowd by the end of the year, you'd be fine with it. And um, it's the same with absolutely anything and everything that we do. And um, the more that we practice it, the better we get. The reason why we don't like to practice things is because um, often in the initial um, stages, we fail at them. At um, adults, we don't like failure. At, um, so children don't mind it in the slightest. At, um, when you're, it's in fact how we learn. So we learn most between the ages of one and three in our entire lifetimes. How depressing is that? We learn most between uh, uh, the ages of one and three in our entire lifetimes. And the reason why um, is that all we do is play. It's the only thing we do between one and three. You watch a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, they play. So they don't see trying to catch the ball as failure or success. They see it as a game. At home. So I've done it once, I try and do it twice. At home, so everything is play. At home, so because it's play, they don't associate failure as something to be afraid of. At, um, but as we get older, we contextualize failure differently and it becomes an inhabiting factor. At, um, but if we were to practice anything that we feared, at, um, the more that we would do it, the, um, the less we would fear it. So confidence is not necessarily the, or courage is not necessarily the absence of fear. It's the wisdom to act even though we feel it. At, um, knowing that it will diminish in time. At, um, and it's a really important point that. So most people who are courageous or confident, you see these people on stage or in sporting tournaments, and um, you know, we think that they are fearless. That isn't true. And, um, I can guarantee you working with some really good sports people that their fear levels were particularly high. And, um, but they find a way to channel it and find a way to use it and feel a way to make it something which is favourable, not an inhibitor to performance. And um, so, you know, I do lots of talks on stage, as you know, you know, I've made my career in the last 10 years speaking to large audiences on stage. I cannot tell you how bad I was at doing it at the beginning. And um, the reason why, and, um, I wish I could watch back some of those early, early talks, you know, absolutely dreadful. And the reason why and, um, was because um, I was exercising my courage and exercising my confidence. And, um, it was a fear which made them rubbish. And the more I did them, the better I get and, um, because um, it's practice. That's what it is. So we are born necessarily imperfect. And um, we come into the world not knowing all the answers. We go out of the world not knowing all the answers. And, um, which proves that our only purpose on this earth is to learn, develop and grow. How do you learn, develop and grow if you stay within your comfort zone? Not exiting and, um, you know, our confidence or courage and, um, by doing the things that we're familiar with. And um, so if there's anything that you want to um, feel less fear of, and the paradox is that we need to do it more often. And um, so, and you may choose how you want to do it by creating safe environments at, uh, or um, uh, safe peer recognition or mentoring or whatever it might be. And, um, but the key is to keep doing it. So action at, um, leads to growing levels of confidence. Second point I wanted um, to raise with you this morning in regard to courage and confidence is that courage and confidence often comes from connectivity. At, um, it's easy to be confident as a group of people at, um, rather it is than on your own. At, um, so it's easy to be motivated at, um, in a group of people rather than on your own. At, uh, so um, buddying, mentoring, working as a team, at, um, explicitly stating what it is that you want to exercise your courage on, and um, being supported is a really useful way to get him better, you know, to making more courageous decisions and being bolder. And um, so the more connected we can be, and, um, the stronger we can get at, um, you know, in our uh, ability to understand ourselves in the context of a new environment. So uh, again, people who are connecting better at the moment are finding it easier because we've got shared experiences. And as human beings, we like to be with people who think the same as us, this is why depressed people hang out with depressed people. You know, the world is crap. You know, I agree with you. Oh, I like you. But, um, we think the same. But, um, you know, or alternatively, I want to experiment and try some new stuff to achieve some new possibilities in this changing world. And then um, you hang out with people like that. But, um, there is almost a um, group energy and enthusiasm for performance. So who you hang out with at the moment will affect your confidence and courage. And um, that will be the case. And, um, so choose wisely the people who you share your new ideas with, people who you innovate with, and, um, the people who you talk about your growth plans with. New ideas and innovation and, um, can be incredibly fragile, amazingly fragile. And, um, so new ideas must be nurtured. So um, the amount of times I've sat in board meetings and someone's come up with a new idea, something to do with growth, something to do with innovation, creative thought, 
being courageous or bold in an area, moving outside of current thinking. And, um, and that new idea is being killed straight away. And it's being killed by a smirk, a raised eyebrow, a shake of the head, a quizzical look. And that's how fragile new ideas are. And, um, so if you are to be bold and brave and courageous, and, um, it's always good to work with people who can enable you to be so, to create a culture, at a, a, um, a community, a team, at a, or a buddy or a friend at a, who will allow you to express yourself in a way which is reflective of the bravery that you wish to show. At a, and the third point at a, I've got for you on this at a, to kick us off our, in our discussion today is one of the greatest inhibitors of human performance is fear, at a, particularly fear of failure. Um, I've heard two good acronyms for fear, false evidence appearing real, I spend half my life worrying about things, half of which will never happen. And um, you think about the stuff that you worried about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and um, I pretty much guarantee you that although it's significant 15 years ago, it's probably not so significant now. So we are particularly bad at, just, at, um, at uh, guessing how happy or how sad things will make us. Um, there's a chap who did an experiment in the 60s at, uh, where he um, surveyed people they surveyed 600 people who had big wins or came into money in some way, so an inheritance or something. And they said to these people, how happy do you think you will be in six years' time? Now you've got this amazing life-changing amount of money. And, um, and these people said, oh, my God, my life has changed you know, for the better substantially. And, um, my life is incredible. And um, I'll never be happier than this. This is amazing. Then he went and surveyed 600 people who'd lost limbs in tragic incidents and accidents. And he said, how unhappy um, do you think you will be in six years time? And, um, and they all said, my life is over. And, um, this is dreadful. This is horrendous. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'll never be happy again. And, um, so he went back in six years and surveyed them. The people who came into lots of money, who had lots of money, weren't quite as happy as they thought they were going to be wasn't a life-changing episode for the better that they imagined. On the whole, they weren't as happy as they thought they were going to be. And, um, the people who had lost limbs in tragic incidents and accidents but, um, were nowhere near as unhappy as they thought they were going to be. And, um, so they thought their life was over. This is horrendous. It's the worst things possible. And, um, a lot of them had found out that they weren't so unhappy. And in fact, in many cases, their life had actually improved since they lost their limb and um, actually got better. Met new people and done new things. And, um, so you know what it's like. And um, you think, oh, if I get this job, if I win this contract, I'll be happy. And um, it'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And then you get the job or you buy the new car, and, um, whatever it is, or you get the house. And, um, and after six months or so, you're not quite as happy as you thought you were going to be. And, um, you, uh, and you also have something happen to you. If this happens, it's going to be the worst thing ever. This will genuinely be the worst thing ever. Do you know when you're 15 and you separate from your first love? And you think, my God, my life is over. I will never love again until you meet her sister. And, um, but enough about me, until let's go back to courage and confidence. And, um, so what happens is that um, we are particularly bad at understanding how happy or sad things make us. So we need to see failure more objectively. And um, so false evidence appearing real, worrying about stuff that we don't need to worry about, and, um, so it's not as meaningful as we think. And, um, and then the other acronym I heard was from action I learn. So failure is from action I learn. And actually 3M at, um, say about failure, that they call it learning moments. At, um, so what learning moments have you experienced this week? At, uh, America has had a big learning moment over the last four years. At, um, so learning moments at, um, and reframing how we see failure is incredibly important. So success and failure are merely outcomes. They shouldn't become attitudes. You can fail, it doesn't make you a failure. You can make mistakes, it doesn't make you a mistake. And um, I worked with this Japanese company at, um, and um, they were very good at um, in Tokyo, a sales team at, uh, and at Suntory, they make whiskies. At, uh, and their salespeople were brilliant at it. And um, they would win a big contract and instead of go out and get drunk and celebrate, at, um, they would all come back into the boardroom at, um, and wonder why they won it and debrief and break it down and understand at, um, exactly the component parts of how they won. And then they'd lose a contract and no one would be depressed or unhappy. They would come back into the boardroom and evaluate the loss in exactly the same way as they evaluated the success. Both of which were opportunities to learn and be better. And so we need to see failure and 
continuity failure as part payment towards our success. It's a great time to experiment because the world is upside down and there is beauty in the chaos, but we can't find it by replicating what we did previously. And then we can only find it by experimentation. Experimentation will mean that we'll need to celebrate the idea of failure, a term which is allowing us to be better, hence not damaging our confidence. And then three things for you. Confidence is like a muscle. You want to get more courageous at anything. You need to do it more. It's the only way in which you can do it. And, um, to be connected, we are safer. There's more security at, uh, in uh, working as a team. And, um, this is why golfers, Formula One drivers are not lone sports. I guarantee you now that all the best Formula One drivers and golfers, um, tennis players, will have big teams around them, at, um, really big teams. At, um, and they will play into team. You know, they will see themselves as a team. This is why so many of them will actually give um, praise to their team and say, I've got a great team around me. At, um, you know, or we'll it's a, it wasn't a great day tonight, but you know, we'll regroup. And I'll regroup with the team and we'll discuss, you know, what we can do better. You know, often hear people who are in lone sports talk about their team and, um, and that's what they do. Or well, I've got great support, so I'm sure that will come through this week very well. Um, so get connected. The best sports people do it. The best business people should do it too. Um, reframe failure. And, um, so failure is definitely detrimental or an inhibitor to our confidence and courage. And, um, but the only way in which we get better is to double our rate of failure. And, um, so it's the easiest way to become more successful is double your rate of failure. Try some more stuff and evaluate and, um, yeah, where it is, which is where you're getting a evidential learning, seeing the facts, which allow you to be better. Don't have the emotional connectivity with it. Um, there are three points for you. And, um, something which incorporates all, encapsulates all, is that most people feel anxious and nervous. Most people lose confidence when they feel that things are out of their control. And so you probably recognize this at the moment. Um, there's loads of people who feel out of control, but you'll be amazed what you're in control of in your day. And, um, you know, this virus, for example, can't stop you from communicating with clients. You know, this virus can't stop you from having a bath at three o'clock in the afternoon if you want to do that. And, um, you know, it can't stop you from prospecting. You know, it can't stop you from reading books. And, um, there's so many things in our domain and our control, it's quite incredible. And, um, so let's start to understand how much control we've got and exercise genuine ownership, accountability and responsibility for feeling better, thinking better and acting better. Um, a few ideas for you, some of which you may agree with or disagree with, that's all fine. And, um, some things that you might want to get practical on, that's good too. Um, some things you might want to ask more specific to you or your team. But, um, anything you like is fine by me. Um, wherever you think we should go with the conversation, I'm um, happy to take it. It looks like Simon's got a cat on his shoulder from here, which is quite entertaining. But, um, so um, it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting take on the modern day pirate, a cat on the shoulder. Um, let me open up the chat bar. You can put something in the chat bar you like. You can ask a private message if you want it to be confidential. That's all good too. Um, or you can unmute. We can, uh, we, can, we can just have a conversation, whatever you fancy. Let me um, hand it back to you. Uh, thank you, Jamil. Uh, look, so I want it to be as engaging as possible, but uh, I'm going to kick off um, with a slightly controversial question, Jamil. Have we got time for failure? Uh, have we got time for failure? Um, yeah, at, um, well, we um, absolutely have. And um, it's an essential part of growth and development. So we almost need to make time for it. So, um, uh, you know, if we're not experimenting, we're replicating. So success tends to breed stewards more than innovators. Um, and that's the problem. So if success breeds stewards and not innovators, right, uh, how do we um, become relevant for a world which is constantly changing? So it can be argued that the world at the moment is changing slower than it will do in any time in our lifetime. But, um, and it's an argument that I've heard quite a lot um, recently, that the world is changing is slower any time in our lifetime. Um, so you think about advancements in blockchain, AI, AR, nanotechnology, and um, 3D printing. All of those things will be equally as disruptive, potentially, as this virus. And, um, so whole sectors will be changed. There isn't one um, newspaper editor in the whole of this world who doesn't want to wake up in the morning and think the internet was just one big bad dream. And, um, we're not seeing 
companies wiped out, we're seeing whole sectors being wiped out at, um, overnight. And um, so um, if we are not experimenting, if we're not creating new possibilities and new perspectives, you know, how do we remain future relevant? Um, and it's the argument that big organizations um, can't get their heads around. So, you know, you say to a bank or a utility, you need to give up what's allowing you to be successful to allow you to be successful. And they don't understand it. It's counterintuitive. But the best organizations, whether you're a small recruitment company or whether you're a multinational, um, the best organizations eat their own babies. And, um, so they'll cannibalize. And um, you know, the things which are allowing them to be successful, they will supersede with something else which is more successful. And, um, so you know, if you're earning all your money from sort of permanent recruitment at the moment, for example, so permanent placements at a particular fee, and, um, you can say, here's our niche, you know, here's our, sorry, here's our proposition, you know, this is what's really successful for us at the moment, and we need to do more of it. At, um, you know, or you can ask yourself, at, um, you know, um, if we were to end this tomorrow, at, um, where would we make the same money? At, um, and for the companies who aren't asking that question, um, they're the ones who have been disrupted by the outside at, um, rather than being disrupted from the inside. So, you know, it's always be better to be disrupted from the inside at, um, than from the outside. You know? And we need to ask ourselves constantly, you know, are we changing as fast as the world around us? You know, and, um, you know, for people to believe that future success will simply come from reducing variance from being the same by being consistent, but, um, it's not good enough. So, you know, we need to reinvent. And this is the whole thing is that, you know, if you were, this is the weird thing. Now, if you were working for, let's say Dyson, um, so making hoovers, uh, making vacuums, but, um, and you went up to James Dyson and said, I've got this idea for chewing gum. There's a great chewing gum. I think we'll sell loads of it. And um, yeah, we should make chewing gum. Um, he'd probably, as, you know, a as a creative, as a visionary, as an innovator, probably say, no, and, um, this is ridiculous. And, um, but why is it that a company that makes vacuum cleaners wouldn't go into chewing gum and, um, if that enables them to be purposeful in regard to what they contribute to society, allows them to be profitable, and um, allows the business to continue. And um, so, you know, it's an absurd example, and, um, but we need to almost question, you know, ourselves as leaders and business owners and our businesses all the time. Because if we don't challenge the assumptions and we simply think it's gonna to continue tomorrow, as many of us have seen, and, um, it doesn't. And um, so, you know, how many of us sat around and thought, you know, look, we got a strategy at um, uh, a strategy meeting a year ago. And we said to ourselves that, you know, look, hang on a minute, guys, look, you know, we, I know we operate internationally, um, but what happens if, um, if America bans every single flight um, from Europe by March? And um, no one asked that question in December. And um, no one said in December when you were planning for, you know, last year that, um, you know, what if it, if, what if it, what if at um, every country in Europe, you know, ban, controls their borders at, um, so, so to the extent that they don't allow anyone else in from any country? Um, because it's a ludicrous example and we would never even think of it or think it's going to be relevant to our business. So maybe some of those big examples we don't necessarily need to consider, at, um, but we do need to understand that sectors that we're serving HR people that we're working with, procurement people that we're working with, service level agreements, rosters. Now, all of these may change quite dramatically from tomorrow. And if they did, how would we be relevant? So, you know, I think it's a false economy not to make time. If you don't make time for change now, you know, then you're going to have to make significantly more time when, when, when times change. Thanks, Joel. We've got a um, leading on for this. Uh, Jonathan um, has sent for a, a, a message through the chat and I'd like to introduce him uh, to the stage, if you will, um, because it follows on it's in, in, regarding risk. Uh, so, Jonathan, do you want to unmute yourself and, uh, and yep. come up? Yeah, I'm like lacking the use of the clubhouse uh, terminology there, Simon, it, onto the stage. Uh, might have ripped, might have, may have ripped that off there, Jonathan. <laughs> Jamil, I was looking for you on Clubhouse as well and uh, struggled to find you. Are you uh, on there yet? No, no. Um, um, Simon sent me the link actually, and um, and I haven't um, I haven't done it yet. But um, I will. Um, I'll have a look. We'll keep an eye out for you. So yeah, linking on you. you said earlier on, you know, whilst these things are in improving position, I've, I know lots of people on this members only group who found it incredibly difficult over the last twelve months, um, where change has been forced on us. That's the external yeah. bit you've 
talk about, but choosing to go down routes at the moment which seem risky um, doesn't feel particularly comfortable, you know, when um, when you're right up against it. What gives you the the sort of motivation and the inspiration and the drive to put yourself in that situation when you feel as though things are improving at the moment, but they're still not great? Yeah. Okay, it's a really good question. Um, so um, we tend to operate, um, we have a comfort zone, and um, so this is where we're happy working. And, um, and then we have opportunity, and, um, and then we have risk. So um, I think that our assessment of risk at, uh, is um, a really interesting one as human beings. So you know, what we need to do is to um, think about um, what investment we can make for a return on our intelligence. So ROI, return on intelligence is let's make some good educated guesses and um so um and what's the return on our intelligence have a think about the world as we know it and see it let's speak to as many people as we can with diverse opinion so um seek the opinions of others and um and it's really important so the people who make the best decisions are bottom-up diverse collaborative teams so and the reason why is that you get the opinion of many people and uh, so um, uh, the, the counter argument to that is things like Brexit, and, um, but um, it depends what question you ask in the first place. So I think that um, if you can get, um, uh, let's think about this intellectually. We make the best decisions um, when we are and when we have the evidence. And, um, so let's try and move away. A few pointers for you. Let's move away from bias and prejudice. And, um, so do you get uh, do you get an email? And um, you see who it's from. You see the title of it. You roll your eyes and then you open it. It's from Simon, isn't it? From Simon. And um, but um, but you know we do it all the time. It's usually from a client. And um, we see an email from someone, see who it's from, see the title of it, roll your eyes, then we open it. Your next decision as a leader is flawed, and your next decision is flawed because you're now seeing it through a distorted lens. Yeah. To use um, the golf terminology, and um, is that people say this is a bad lie, and then when the ball's in the rough, this is a bad lie. It's hard to get out. It's tricky. But there's no such thing as a bad lie. There's no such thing as a good lie. There is only a lie. So therefore, the ball is in a particular position. And for you to make the next best decision about your shot, you need the evidence, not the bias. And as soon as you start seeing things as bad or seeing things as good, and, um, you know, we um, we distort the facts. So let's try and get as um, let's try and move away from bias and prejudice. Let's take um, insight for as many people as possible. Let's try and understand um, people's viewpoints on this, opinions and facts. That, um, and then with our intelligence, make an educated guess, which inspires at, um, us to move into a space of opportunity and not risk. So this bit about, you know, you often hear about fail quickly, fail cheaply, you know, I think is right. At, um, let's find a way in which we can experiment at, um, in a non-costly manner. Um, the beauty of, um, of experimentation is that it can be um, uh, gradations of experimentation. So you can experiment and then experiment and depending upon the result, experiment a bit more. So where can we try something which allows us to deploy resource to opportunity at, um, if this experiment appears to be working? The reason why um, these big businesses like Uber, Airbnb and all these sort of things uh, have become so successful so quickly at, um, so they're not 10% bigger, they're 10 times bigger, you know, overnight. The reason why is because they're mainly internet-based models. One of the beauties of the internet is that um, you, can, um, you can experiment cheaply. So you put a page out there or put something out there. If it works, then you can deploy resource to opportunity quickly. You can scale really quickly on the internet. This is why internet models, you know, boom overnight. And, um, it's because um, it's so easy to experiment. You don't get a high street premises, you don't buy stock, I think you put something out there and see what happens to it. So, um, so I think that, you know, if we can take a lead from some of these companies which were experimental and scaled quickly, how did they do it? They, um, they did it in small amounts, incremental innovation. So sometimes passionate iteration is worth more than dramatic change. So, you know, where can we um, where can we look to do something a little bit different to what we're doing at the moment and get good feedback at, um, so then we can deploy resource to opportunity. Be agile and open minded with our resource and capability. At, um, so let's create more fluidity in our organization at, um, and let's try and um, play the game of what if beforehand. So what if is, um, you know, if this did happen, 
if the world was like this or we did that you know what do you think will happen and create some time and space they try and understand at, um, you know where um, um, what the second what I call the second wave of innovation will be and second wave of innovation is really interesting at the moment second wave of innovation means a light bulbs for example light light bulb is invented um, which means that people um, have it in their homes and workplaces but because people have it in their homes and workplaces, it also means they're going to have it in the streets. If they have it in the streets, that means that people are going to travel further. And, um, and that's when people started moving outside of, sort of cities and, you know, living in suburbs and they go travel further. Educate more because they can read later. So have a think about the world in which you're inhabiting. Have a think what's happening and what might happen as a result of it. And um, so in regard to workforce of the future, fluidity in working, uh, change of contracts, all sorts of stuff which you're going to and if these things did happen what would happen as a result of it a few pointers for you then to summarize and um and take counsel from many people more people than you've spoken to make them really diverse don't go to family friends and people who think the same and um, there's a load of people on this network here who you can probably contact and run the idea past and um so get some diverse opinion try not to operate with bias and prejudice try and be as factual as possible think like an engineer or scientist but um not like an artist but um so get as factual as possible and um have a look at first second wave of innovation if that happened what else would happen as a result of it or what would this lead to try and have a think about like ripples in a pond you just might get some insight or inkling from it and um and then um find a find a place that you can experiment cheaply small and with a good feedback loop that will give you insight into whether it may work or not yeah seek opportunity not risk that's the thing at um you know for me at um let's have a look at um you know at where we can test ourselves a little bit at um and test our models and thinking at um but there's no point in plowing huge amounts of money into something which is a 50 50 bet what's the secret jamil to taking you know, inverted commas, that leap of faith, because every single person on here is work or is part of um, the silo that is recruitment. And they might work in their own silos, but the recruitment is a silo. And that is, as everybody knows, one of the reasons why um, Members Only was established in the first place to try and break those silos. For conversations like this are brilliant. But if someone's sitting there going, yeah, but we work in a silo, everybody does the same thing all the time. They always have done. So if I go out there and I do something which is completely radically different. I'm just gonna, it's just not gonna work, or it's gonna get laughed at or, and I know this obviously all comes down to the confidence. So I suppose my question is, how do you take that leap of faith? How do you get the confidence to do it? Just go, do you know what, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, okay, and uh, a couple of things that, um, uh, this bit about looking outside the industry is really important. So most innovation, which is totally disruptive and successful comes from outside the sector. So if you're in banking, you're, uh, if you're in Lloyd's Banking Group, your competitors aren't that West, but, um, you know, or Barclays, they're not. Your competitors, three, um, three Chinese kids who are probably pissed in a hotel room having some fun playing with blockchain, but, um, they're your competition. They're the people going to wipe you off the map, you know, in 48 hours. So, um, so it's really hard to look at recruitment companies as being your competition. Um, there's almost going to be something which is totally disruptive because the, 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 the um, uh, recruitment industry is incredibly robust. You know, when you think about like, LinkedIn came out because that's the end of recruitment, LinkedIn's there. And in fact, recruiters use LinkedIn now as a tool to make their businesses successful. And um, it's not competition. So which is augment, augment your offer. So it's incredibly robust as an industry at um, recruitment. And, um, but, and, um, you know, for us to take insight from elsewhere is really important. The hypodermic syringe was invented when people looked at mosquitoes and how they worked. Um, Velcro and, um, was understood when people um, started to see the, as an individual saw the burrs, the, um, you know, the little sticky things in um, on plants sort of stuck to trousers, stuck to corduroy trousers, Velcro was invented. Um, Speedo um, uh, came up with a swimming suit, which was based upon shark skin. And um, so sharks swim so fast because um, their skin has tiny holes in it. So it actually traps water. It's actually water against water. Sharks, that's why they swim so fast. And that's how they made the, the suit which got banned in the end. So the innovation is coming outside of the sector is really important. So you, know, you might want to think now that, um, you know, re um, restaurants have been hit really badly. 
Um, what are restaurants doing to be successful? Okay, they're doing takeaways. What does takeaways look like in the recruitment industry? And, um, what would we do if we were doing a takeaway? And, uh, well, I guess that what a takeaway would look like is that, you know, we would, um, uh, we would bring the candidate into the, and uh, we'd do something with the candidate, which meant that they traveled. So would it, would it be that, that we got the candidate and the client to meet in the forest and walk two meters apart and then still meet face to face? And, um, you know, we bring the candidate to you and that's a takeaway. And, um, as long as you've got somewhere to walk and, um, and you can say a safe distance away, we'll bring the candidate to you. I don't know. So let's play some games. And, um, have a think about the restaurant industry. And um, have a think about um, um, you know what the government at um, briefings are like. And um, what's good about them? What's bad about them? And uh, I don't want. They seem to be losing trust. They're not losing trust because you know their decisions aren't made on appear to be on good evidence. And um, so, how do we make decisions based upon better evidence to gain more trust with our clients? So I think let's create some time and space to think about other sectors, other industries, stuff that we're observing and seeing, and, um, stuff which is happening in our communities and our societies, and how does this translate into my business? How does it translate into my career? Now, how do I become better and my team become better because of what we're seeing outside? And, um, and I think that, you know, once we start to try and, um, um, try and interpret and translate from elsewhere, we just might get some really good insight into how we can make practical change. Now, um, you know, it's really hard to edit a blank page. But, um, so, you know, the course to success is action. You know, whenever there's an action, there's always a reaction. So whenever you do something, something happens as a result of it. You know, and the best way to be successful is to, is to, start, is to start doing something, is to, is to take action. So, you know, one of the things which stop, um, um, one of the things which stops great ideas coming to fruition is the execution. So many of us have had amazing ideas and going to you now that, you know, I bet you've sat at home before and you've looked on TV and this has been this great advert for a business. And you think, oh, that's a, that's a great business that I had that idea. I had that idea 10 years ago. But, um, but, um, but, you know, but we didn't execute upon it. So, you know, I think that, you know, what we need to do is to take action. Now, all great achievements are the result of many small achievements. So it's easier to take a small step forwards than it is a huge leap. And um, so in regard to our confidence and courage, let's break things down into bite-sized chunks and take a practical step forward at, uh, into a space which is different to where we are now. And um, so um, I think it's easier to take action when it's small. And, uh, so let's do that. And, um, and then once we've taken a small step forwards, then it's easier to take another step. So bite-sized chunks are probably the way forwards. When um, there's an influence and persuasion technique, people are more likely to continue things when they've committed to them. So um, if you have a small investment in something, be it your time, your money, or whatever it is, you're more likely to continue with it. And, um, so make an investment and um, you know, make sure it, um, it hurts you to not go on to that next step, because then you're more likely to go on to the next step. So I think practical steps forward and um, good feedback, uh, some reward, some investment, all of those things help us to move forwards. Um, and again, mentoring and buddying is great. You know, it's been proven that you're more likely to give up chocolate cake or smoking or whatever it might be if you've told someone about it. So for tomorrow, I'm going to give up chocolate cake. But, um, you know, if I say that to someone and say, can you help me? Can you keep me honest? But um, you're more likely to do it. But I'm um, rather than making the promise to yourself that you can... Um, then justify your bad habits because it's easier than changing into good habits. I am. Um, thank you, Jamil. There's a question. I don't know whether or not Anna, you want to uh, you want to come off mute. Do you? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, what about where you've got the confidence to try a new concept and do something new that you you're confident would be a success, but you're working with investors yeah. who maybe they're a bit risk averse or they feel yeah. you know actually things are tracking quite nicely at this moment in time and we've got some way to make up maybe now isn't the perfect moment to rock the boat and do something slightly different and you need to get them to buy into that confidence of going yeah. for it it's a good question their easy. money is going with yeah i mean the easy one is to find new investors who think differently so um get yourself some new investors um get someone <laughs> the idea um, uh, you know, or alternatively, um, you know, there's nothing better than storytelling. So um, this isn't about rocking the boat. This is a platform for future success. And what we do is that we um, tell the story 
because stories do two things that um, stories allow people to engage with the idea more than be told when we present a slide deck and then when we present a business plan uh, we're telling someone um, but um, when we um, tell stories and engage people and allow them to be drawn into um, the idea it's much more likely to be accepted so best way to get someone to uh, accept an idea is for them to believe it's their own so they've got to be engaged with it. They've got to co-author and co-create to a degree. And um, so, you know, once we start to um, share with them and get an emotional connectivity with the idea and start saying to them that, you know, what is it which will allow you and, um, to feel confident that this will, this will work? And, um, what, it should be do A or B from here. And, um, you know, or here's the three ways in which we can develop this further. Um, you know, what would you suggest with your wisdom and knowledge would be the way forwards you know, to allow us a collective confidence in the outcome. So involve people in the presentation rather than pitch it to them. Um, tell stories and, uh, and um, always give JFK as the best example. Um, if you read JFK's speech on, um, on putting a man on the moon, um, it makes no sense whatsoever. If you read it, it's a rubbish speech. But, um, if you watch it on YouTube, it's phenomenal. Um, and the reason why is that the logic was low at the time. And, um, so the logic for putting a man on the moon at that time in America was incredibly low, the rationale for it, the reasoning. And, um, but because the logic was so low, what JFK realized was that the inspiration had to be high. And, um, so you can use a mix of techniques based upon um, logic and um, the rationality. And here's the numbers. Um, but I think at the moment, inspiration needs to be high. And tell me, yeah, what are people after at the moment? I don't know about you, but you know, every day seems like Groundhog Day. It's a, um, it's um, hard work to get motivated. You know, it's hard work to you know see things positively and optimistically and open-mindedly. Someone came along and inspired me. Someone came along and made an emotional connection with me and changed my mood. And um, then I would be wanting to spend more time with them and listen further. I always argue that Stevie Wonder knew more about cultural change than anyone else and, um, because he can get you from sad to happy in three minutes, you know, by telling you a story to music. And, um, you know, and there's a lesson in there for all of us as business leaders and um, as we try to get people to engage and buy in with us is that, you know, let's not look to persuade people and, um, with, um, with logic and um, let's look to influence them with who we are and um, how well and what they can have. So hopefully they'll invest in you and not necessarily the idea, not just the idea, um, because they'll believe that you can take them to a better place than where they are now. So let's tell some stories with emotional connectivity at, uh, about you, about the idea, at, uh, about um, selling a vision, a vision story, at, uh, about what we can create and be together, you know, rather than you know, some profit that we can make from, you know, from, a, um, from a decent business uh, proposition. Um, Summarize emotional connectivity, storytelling, inspiration. Um, try and move away from numbers, and um, our numbers aren't exciting. What's exciting is is you know, what we can be rather than what we can have. Um, I always said if an alien came down to this earth and you had to tell them all about the earth without telling them a story, um, you could only give them facts, data, and evidence, and the alien wouldn't understand it in the slightest uh, to what this earth is about. And um, so stories are incredibly important. Um, you know, but what do we do when we try to convince people? We give them numbers, data, and statistics rather than tell stories. So um, I think, Anna, I think, you know, become chief storyteller for your idea, you know, much more so than, than pitching it. How much... Uh, thank you. How, how, yeah, thank you. Uh, did you want to follow up with that, Anna? Yeah, I, that was really helpful. I think my challenge is um, eight of my 10 investors are accountants and they're all about the numbers. I, I love the yeah. story and the narrative. They love the data and the black yeah. and white cash today. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And, and you know, don't get me wrong, you know, you're going to have to give that to them. But, um, but you know, you're also going to have to you know, sell the idea. And don't forget that, you know, you don't need to convince eight or 10 um, accountants. Um, you need to convince um, you know, three accountants uh, who are going to convince the other five. And, um, so, you know, that um, you're not going to be there for the majority of the time that they're making a decision. You'll pitch to them and they'll go and talk. And if you can win one or two others over, then what you would have done and, um, by your confidence and courage and um, your conviction with the idea, the way in which you've sold the 
emotional connection between um, uh, what they can have as a result of working with you and this idea, um, then you're relying on those one or two people who get it to convince the others and um, because peer recognition, peer coaching and peer persuasion is incredibly powerful. So you're more likely to try a product on the word of a trusted friend than you are a 50 million pound advertising campaign. You know, and hopefully that, you know, they'll trust the word of a friend and, um, who has got what you're saying. Thank you. It's really well, helpful. Good luck. Yeah, good. Anybody else got uh, any other questions? And whilst you're mulling over what question you may have burning inside you, how, how does it work? It might sound like a bit of a silly question to build, but none of us are face-to-face -face anymore. And I think it's everybody here will attest that when in front of a client, you face-to-face, it's a whole load easier to, to sell a concept. Or indeed, if you're with a colleague and you're in a boardroom or in a coffee shop or a pub, it's a lot easier to sell that concept through storytelling. I think it's harder to do in an environment which is online. It's not such an emotive um draw so is there sort of anything that you'd recommend for that is there something that you've seen maybe you're you know one of your clients i know you've got many um that have made that work really well um yeah i think that it, it, you know again i don't know how you're finding with the courage and confidence thing working online you know some people are a bit more sort of confident because they're not in the same room as people um you know some people are less confident because they feel as they've got less clues and i mean it's harder to build a relationship um, I think the thing to remember is that everyone is in, you know, the same situation. And um, so, you know, we're all working in the same way and then we've all got sort of pressures of, you know, homeschooling and whatever else. Um, there's still disruption and turmoil and, um, you know, I feel as though I don't want to be demotivational, but, you know, we haven't got an end in sight, you know, as such. And um, so, and, uh, you know, I think that the, the thing that is probably most useful, you know, is this idea of, you um, um uh this idea of equality theory that um you know that we need to understand that you know everyone is in a particular position and um and let's be human-led technology enabled you know just because we've got these platforms and channels which allow us to communicate disseminate information share content um let's be more human than we ever have been before you know you arrange a call at two o'clock and time you get on the call at two o'clock and you can still say that look you know is it is it still convenient to talk? You know, I know we've organized two o'clock, but things are changing for people all the time. And tell me, you're sure this is okay. Yeah, so once we show a little bit more um, um, consideration, and, uh, and um, again, it is a matter of being bolder, you know, being braver, and um, being more human, showing more of our, you know, our vulnerability, telling more personal stories. You know, I think we can build better relationships. So, um, you know, we've all got stories to tell from the last year, you know, good and bad, you know, some tragic and some incredibly optimistic and fruitful. Um, you know, let's start to communicate, connect, partner and network in a new way as a group of human beings who all want to lead each other to something better. You know, and I've said it to you before in these calls that, you know, your clients and your candidates you know, are you know, an essential part of your network, you know, and all of us need handholding together into a better future. And your clients and candidates that are there to help you, you know, get your business better, you know, become more robust and successful and, um, as you are with them. So, you know, let's look to partner rather than to transact. And, um, you know, the best way we do that is as human beings, much more so than job titles, job roles or business owners. So I think the people who are doing it best, you know, are taking a real, um, a real, um, having a real understanding, um, you know, that, this idea of human leadership much more so than business leadership is probably going to um, fare well for the future. Does anybody, and, and, and if nobody jumps on immediately, it would be great if somebody would uh, share a story. If you've got a story of, um, uh, of something that you've done, which is completely different to what you were doing, and it took, you know, confidence for yourself or your team to do it. Whilst you think about that, Jamel, have you got any examples of some, like, think of somebody or, or a company that you know that have done exactly that and through sheer, I don't know, taking a punt, confidence, whatever, have completely revolutionised what they do just because they had the confidence to do it? No. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, so uh, let me have a think. Come on, think. Who's... Um, who's uh, uh, yeah, do you know what? I think that um, I think the advancements that you're seeing in the farmer industry at the moment are phenomenal. And um, so, um, so I work with GSK. I work for Jensen. And um, I work um, um, with a few pharma companies and um, and biotech. Um, and one thing that pharma companies have done particularly well 
um, is be protective over their assets. And um, so, you know, they're fairly secret organizations. It sends a fortune to develop drugs. Um, and um, and, uh, and, they've, um, and they've started to share in a new way. So you're seeing, um, uh, you're seeing, I always say that war, war makes strange bedfellows. So you see people come together who don't usually come together when, when there's a crisis, when there's, you know, there's something dramatic happening. Um, and um, the fact that um, many, IT, many um, pharma companies have opened up their IP and started collaborating with people who are their genuine competition is quite phenomenal. And the reason why vaccines have been accelerated to the degree in which they have um, is because they've become almost open source in the way in which they've been developed. There is a, um, um, there's a really good case study, and I can't remember the name of the mine. There was a mi mi mining in term for minerals is incredibly protective too. They don't open up their data. At, um, they don't tell you where they're mining and whatever else. And um, they're quite protective. There was a um, as a mine in Australia. I'll try to find out the name of the mine for you. At, um, which is failing really badly. At, um, and a new CEO taker this a couple of years ago. And um, reminds me of this story. Um, who published all their data on the internet, set it out to all the universities as a challenge, and so where should we dig next? Um, and the share price went through the roof when they started hit rich seams of these minerals because you know there's three kids in in New Zealand, you know, who um, were at university and took it on as a project. Um, you know, we open up the data, we open up our thinking, and um, you know, and allow others to contribute. There's no reason why you need to be protective over your over your of your database, and um, your systems, your processes. Um, let's get sharing more and see who contributes. And um, you know, maybe you know, opens up this whole new world, you know, of how we may use our assets differently. So, you know, for best example I can give you at the moment is the pharma companies, and um, you know, who are sharing resource like mad. Um, it never happens, and, uh, and you know, collectively, these great brains, lots of money. At, um, and, and new capabilities are coming to light, you know, to allow us to, you know, to develop pharmaceuticals in a way which is reflective of the societies that we want to, we want to make, you know, post-virus. So it's a really good example at the moment. And, and I guess, uh, Jamil, that, that example can be taken inwardly to our, our own companies, can't they? So I think, you know, for those that have got um, employees and, and, and staff, I think we're all guilty at time of being a little bit more dictatorial than perhaps we ought to be. So giving that and sharing that with your with your employees to even ask them, you know, like that, like that project, you know, what would you do, guys? Where, where do you think we can innovate? If you had one opportunity to change the way you work, what would that be? And you could discuss that. And then it's then everybody's in it together, aren't they? It's a collective and it's almost a shared responsibility for the, you know, um, for for the failure if it is one or if it you know if it if it works out you, you shared that too so that's a great it. opportunity to say that you know if we if we were to start again look just the blank sheet of paper guys let's start again how do we do it you know and i, I actually think that people in sort of sales roles trading led organizations are incredibly protective you know if i was a recruiter and i had my little database you know my clients and candidates i you know i see it as my assets it's my route to my bonus and commission you know why you know, why, why should I share my good assets with my colleagues? You know, and this is why, you know, I've often heard clients say to me that, you know, when I, I'm dealing with a big recruitment company, but I know I'm not, I'm dealing with that recruiter. And um, because that recruiter is not going to share and talk to others, and, um, you know, it's not going to be something which is a collective apart from the database, um, you know, because people are, are, you know, look after their own assets. You know, and I hope that they can use it to monetize themselves. But, you know, if you were to throw this open to all and say that, you know, look, Adam, here's the problems with recruitment. Here's the problems with, with um, you know, and building a business like this. And if we were to start again, how do we do it? And if this was completely different, what would we do? Um, and I think that we almost need to think like the outsider, which is most important. Una's got an example. Hello. Uh, yes, I was going to say, I'm working with a client, and just as um, you, you mentioned there, I think, um, and, and one of the their key challenges was the, the different types of recruitment they were doing. So some was retained, some was contingent, some was exclusive, etc. So for this audience, they'll, they'll, they'll get all of that. And I think the, the leadership team were really worried about, um, you know, they wanted to go more of a retained exclusive route, but the leadership team were really worried about, you know, too, too much of our business is coming from contingency, but they did exactly that. They opened it up to, 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 to the consultants. And actually the consultants were the one that said, bottom up, 
we don't want to do this type of work anymore um, because, you know, it's it's low reward, it's, it takes a lot of time, clients aren't treating as well, and all the things that they thought, so like you're saying, that intelligence, they knew, but they didn't want to, they, they'd taken so long to make that change or to try and implement it, but actually it's happening almost overnight now because the people in the business said, actually you've asked us and we don't want to so instead of constantly saying well why have you taken that job on and sort of top down they've now got people sort of saying actually they've got the freedom to say i'm not taking on that piece of business anymore it doesn't work for me but and that was just a, like you're saying it was just literally a change in asking them what they thought the success should look like um, and it's made a massive difference um, so something they've been trying to move towards for 18 months is happening in a month because they've, you know, they've made, they've given the people that are doing the operational, doing the job, the decision in terms of how they run their businesses. Yeah. So, great. you know, it's just, it's just saying it just so quickly can turn from you trying pushing down or trying to push, you know, a strategy, it can quickly turn overnight if you, you know, you're involving the, the, the people that are doing it, basically. Obvious, but so often you don't do it. <laughs> I think there's a massive opportunity for recruitment at the moment, huge opportunity, and, um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the most discussed things, isn't it, is how do we mobilise our workforce? How do we retain the good quality staff we've got? You know, now that working conditions are changing, how do we attract talent? At um, you know, how do we organise ourselves to be more magnetic? At um, you know, to pull in the best people, um, you know, and I think recruitment or recruiters is a interesting part of that strategy. At um, not it's not fully the strategy, but it's part of that strategy. So if you can help employers understand their opportunities at home and start matching sort of candidates' aspirations as our aspirations are changing, as skilled people, aspirations are changing now. And um, we're seeing the world differently, seeing careers differently. Um, it's an opportunity for you to play into a new space, you know, and, you know, I've worked with recruitment companies before who were, you know, what I call skin traders. And, um, you know, they'll throw the CVs at you and, you know, hope that a couple stick. And, um, and I just think that, you know, the more of that transactional recruitment now is probably not going to work because, People also on the other side and the client side just haven't got the time for it. And um, everyone's stressed, everyone's working long hours. I want someone who I can trust who can work really well in an efficient and effective manner you know, to understand the business changes that we're going through and the types of new people needed to make a cultural contribution, you know, as well as do the role. You know, and I think there's a real um, there's a chance for recruitment to elevate its status. I always say it takes two to have a bad relationship. You know, some recruiters can act badly because they're treated badly. You're not getting buy-in, you're not getting um, um, a commitment. And, um, you know, so therefore, why try harder? You know, and you sometimes get like, you know, HR person or go out and three recruitment companies. And um, so these, these recruitment companies will put in a third of the effort each because you know how much work you guys can put in and then you're, then you're pipped at the post. And then what's the response from the HR come from the HR representative to go out to five companies? You know, so therefore the recruitment comes in and put in a fifth of their time and um, trying even less. That time, you know, rather, you know, than the HR person think if I can, you know, go work in a retained manner, you know, someone who I trust and understands the business, that, um, then ultimately, you know, there's my, you know, there's my return on objective, you know, term the ROO, a term the return on objective. I need someone for this position and I'm trusting someone to operate in a changed environment, a market I now don't understand because contracts are changing and rates will be changing as well for certain skills. At, uh, and I don't have the time to have the Nelson knowledge, you know, to make sense of it, to get the right person in the right time. So I think it's a really big play at, um, for status and reputation in your industry at the moment. I think it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, great. Thank you, Jamil. And mindful of time, and I know that everybody is, um, is up against it at the moment, it would seem. So before we... Uh, before we say thanks to Jamil and, uh, and crack all that day, has anybody got a question um, or any point they would like to make uh, before before we go? Even Rohan's quiet today, Jamil. You know something's up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if someone could pay his ransom and get him out of there, that'd be great. <laughs> I'll ask a question if you want, but uh, I appreciate we're pushed for time, so.
Right, well, I'm okay if you want to. If you want to. Um, yeah. So it was just more around the confidence. You obviously said confidence is like a muscle, um, but this uncertainty that surrounds us is kind of like this thing that paralyzes that muscle from working. And I just wondered yeah. if, uh, yeah, what? How would you suggest people overcome the uncertainty that's all around us? Like, what 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 tips would you give us? Yeah, I think um, again, um, let's reframe uncertainty. We've always operated in complexity and uncertainty and unpredictability. So um, I don't know why this is such a big thing, to be honest, in regard to seeing the world as uncertain, because the world's always been phenomenally uncertain. And, uh, you know, um, there's been all sorts of things in history which are almost gone un unnoticed, which have changed radically the way in which we live, work, learn and play. So, um, and this is, uh, you know, this is just one area of uncertainty. And there's going to be loads more coming our way. So, um, you know, if you think about... Um, uh, uh, the uh, way the improbability that we live with on a, a daily basis as human beings we're pretty good at dealing with it and um, we deal with all sorts of uncertainty complexity and improbability um so i think that um let's realize that we're good for a start that um let's know that we are we're, we've navigated uncertainty before you know be it all sorts of recessions you know, term, you know be it all sorts of economic downturn or acts of god acts of terrorism there's all sorts of things which have changed the world but, uh, admittedly not to this degree but um you know but we change all the time so let's understand that we've done it before but, um, and we could do it again and um, so change is something that we we live with as human beings um, let's um, then understand our locus of control which areas can we control where can we exercise our courage and reward ourselves for doing so so I'm making any change. It's really important to do it, get some feedback, but, um, reward yourself, and then you're more likely to do it again. So habits are replicated behavior, and, um, and we need to almost hold our own hand down the path of change. So good intentions are probably not good enough. So wishing and hoping but, um, isn't the same as believing and doing. So let's start to make some small changes. Let's get some feedback on it. And, um, let's uh, um, understand that we are in control of these areas. You know, and let's, um, and let's um, reward ourselves for doing so. So what poker players do, for example, is that they'll wear a hat because they believe it will be lucky. Or they wear some sunglasses because they believe that at, um, um, they won last time when they wore it. Um, but it's ridiculous to think that a glass, that a pair of glasses or a sun hat will change the you know, fortune of the cards. And, um, so let's move away from superstition and luck and understand that our true power lies in ourselves. And, um, so let's do some stuff, see what it results in and do some more stuff and, um, and get used to taking action. Um, you know, and you know, the world is as it is. And I always say that there's you know, our world you know, their world and God's world. It's quite a useful segmentation. Um, I'm not religious at all, but it's just a useful terminology. So, you know, our world is the stuff that we can control. Their world is other people, colleagues, clients, candidates, um, regulators, and, um, you know, whatever it might be, and, um, and God's world, the virus. You know, and once we start to understand, you know, what fits into which box, and um, we can understand how much we have control over. You know, and it's significantly more than what most of us think. So I wouldn't worry too much about the uncertainty uh, because the issues that we face as human beings and as a business are probably fairly un, um, yeah, unimportant. Our ability to form a team um, which can deal with those issues uh, is incredibly important, it's essential. Or to create a mindset as a leader, as a business owner is incredibly essential. So let's stay within our own domain stuff that we're in control of um like the card players the ones who believe that um that um uh, caps and sunglasses can influence control um have less control because they're making decisions based upon you know what they their perceived luck but um those who understand the cards are what they are find out that their span of control gets even bigger so the less you worry about complexity and uncertainty that um, the more control you've got but, um, because you start to rely on the things which, you know, you can genuinely have a choice over. But, um, so let's not try and see, be blindsided by circumstance and situation. But, um, that is what it is. Um, let's understand what it is that's unaffected but, um, you know, by, by the current situation. So many of us are thinking about what's changed and um, what's different now. How often do we sit down in a day and think about what's not changed? It's a really important question, actually, is that, you know, what isn't changing? 
don't know, I mean, what hasn't changed? What's consistent? Um, and you'll be surprised what you find in there. Excellent, thank you. I'm ready okay. to sell the world now, Jamil. Thanks for that. <laughs> when, okay. when you get out. They need to free you in time. Jamil, <laughs> <No. laughs> um, thank, you, thank you so much. I think um, it's probably, a, on that note, a, a, a wonderful time just to summarise. So, the, uh, you know, this is about the psychology of confidence. We, we've covered so much. Um, as, a, as a two or three takeaways, Jamil, on that topic, um, what would you um, what would you say? Oh, I can't remember to be honest. What do I talk about? <laughs> um, I, Where are you? <laughs> I think um, uh, so. You know, courage courage is not the absence of fear. It's to um, it's to act even though you feel it, um, and I think that's an important one. Um, you know, uh, the opposite of bravery is not cowardice, um, but conformity. I'm convinced of it. And, um, so let's try some different stuff. And, um, and I guess that's the that leads on to the third point, um, you know, which is um, um, let's think not let's see success and failure as outcomes, not as attitudes. You know, both of which give us a learning opportunity. Wonderful. Um, thank you, Jamil. On behalf of everybody, thank you very much. Um, I thought that was absolutely as it always is with you, Jamil. Inspire, inspiring and intuitive. Uh, I'll take a moustache if I do this or not. <laughs>